Welcome to the Vox Pop, a podcast of Missio Day Church. We believe everyone has a story worth telling, and this podcast gives voice to those stories. I'm Brian. And I'm Peter. We are your hosts. Welcome to the Vox Pop. Well, I feel like we're getting to a little rhythm with these episodes now. This is your last week of school, isn't it? It is the last week of school before exams, so... It's got to be a little bit of a relief, but maybe bittersweet. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's not as much time with the students, just, and we're not really with each other. Um, I think students are losing energy. Yeah. And so are I teachers. know parents are losing yeah, energy. Everybody's <laughs> kind of ready for summer. And so the goal is to just be yeah. gracious in how we administer exams. Most of my higher level classes, like the AP Calc kids, they had their test on Tuesday. And so that is their exam. And so I only have two more tests, really, yeah. and then we're done. I mean, my kids are, they cannot wait. They go to the same school that you teach at, of mm-hmm. course. And uh, I know, I know, public school kids, you got a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, but my kids, they can't wait to be done. They're yeah. just over the video school, online school thing. Yes. Fatiguing. Yeah, it's that separation of work and personal space that I think is hard for everybody. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it really is. Well, today we have a very special guest, a good friend of our family, Jenny Kruger. Jenny is the wife of Paul and mom to Ryan, Miles, Abby, and Caleb. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you handling the lockdown? (laughs) I was going to say that I was doing very well until week eight hit. And I think for everyone that I talked to, week eight was a hard week where we were over it. But week nine is going better. We're getting back into a new groove again and our attitudes have been adjusted. And so we are, we're doing pretty well. What made it difficult? Was it like the permanence of it? It feels. I think it was the fact that summer was coming and all of a sudden we realized that summer was not going to be (laughs) our typical summer. Right. We had mourned the spring already and adjusted to that. And then a new wave of cancellations and still a lot of uncertainty hit all of us hard. Mm. Yeah. So. I, when you said week eight, I was like, I don't even know when that is. Like, <laughs> I don't even, is this, what month is this? Like, yeah. I'm not even, I'm so out of it right now. You know? Counting is hard. Like, keeping track of how yeah. long we've been in this. Is a- feels, my neighbors were talking about how it feels like Groundhog Day. It's just the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Well, Jenny, um, I've known you for quite a while, um, but I, I actually don't know a lot about your upbringing, background. Were you, were you born here? I was born in Brevard in Transylvania County Hospital. <laughs> really? Hello, Transylvania County. <laughs> yes. And then grew up in Asheville? Actually, I spent the first 13 years in Brevard okay. and attended school there through sixth grade. And then we moved to Asheville and I finished out school here through high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a heart for Brevard. I lived there for three and a half years. I love Brevard. It's a special little town. It was a wonderful place to, to grow up. Yeah. What was, what was Jenny like as a little girl? I was a teacher's pet, I think I would describe myself, a rule follower. I'm the oldest in the family, uh, and I'm a classic oldest child, as my brother would confirm. <laughs> and he is 16 and a half months younger than I am, so we really grew up almost like twins. Uh, we were only a, um, we were back-to-back in school, and 
we just did everything together. And so it was really a, um, a great childhood. My parents became Christians when I was three years old. So from my memory, I grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And so that was, so I really had stability there um, through my whole childhood. So what was Jenny's faith journey? So parents became Christians when you're three, and then when does Jesus kind of become real for you? I remember when I was five years old reading a book with my mom about the life of Jesus, and I think the book was even called, um, What Does It Mean to Be a Christian? And I can still to this day picture the last page of the book that showed the cross and Jesus on the cross, and I remember turning to my mom and saying, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And she'll tell you she was stunned because that was not her intention to uh, force me into a conversion. And so she said, oh, okay, are you sure? And I said, yes, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And so she asked me a lot of questions and finally felt like I was genuine in my desire Mm -hmm. to follow him. And so I remember that prayer. I remember where I was. And so I became a Christian at five, of course, there's a lot of growth that has happened in the last 37 years. There have been highs I and lows. I should hope so. Yes, exactly, exactly. There have been highs and lows, yeah. um, but I will say that my family being there to encourage me all along the way and to continually point me back to the Word of God and to encourage me and pray for me, it's all it always did bring me back, mm. and so so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Who are some of the major influencers of your life when you were young and maybe growing up? You'll hear me say a lot about my mom today, and she really was and continues to be the major influence in my life. Uh, When she became a Christian in her 30s, she was on fire, and I can still remember her spending hours every day in the Word. I would walk by her bedroom door. She'd be sitting in bed with books spread out all around her, taking notes, reading commentaries, memorizing the word, praying for people. She has Mm. stacks and stacks of prayer notebooks from over the years where she records um, what she's prayed for, when the prayer is answered. She has verses that she picks for special people in her life at the beginning of every year. So watching her live it out and to see her constantly model the power of prayer was probably the biggest influence in my life. And I think also God has really used my close friendships in my 30s and somewhat in my 20s. He has really brought some women into my life who also love the Lord and who are willing to walk through hard times with me and are willing to entertain those tough questions that come up and they aren't afraid to have those hard conversations. So he's really blessed me abundantly in female friendships. Mm. And there are women that are willing to go through anything with me and they have. And so I think that's been the other major influence. I think that's, that's a theme of friendship has been coming up in these discussions. And I'm thinking about Ruth and Naomi and like how transformative friendship is. I think that's one of the ways God transforms us is through our friends. Well, and it's just a, a, a reiteration that we're not made to do this life alone. You know, I mean, that God designed us for those kind of friendships, relationships, those, for community. And so many people, for whatever reason, are afraid to jump into community or, you know, feel like if somebody really knew them, they wouldn't accept them or that kind of thing. And just to hear those stories over and over again that, 
you know, being in real significant relationships is life transforming. It's really good. Absolutely. And I think for me, the reason it happened more in my late twenties and thirties is I learned to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That is really hard for me because I am perfectionist and I'm a people pleaser. And so it's hard for me to open up and say, I need help or I'm struggling in this area. So it took me until um, later in my life to realize that when we're vulnerable, that builds connections with other people and then they yeah. can be vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. How did the Lord teach you vulnerability? I mean, it's not like you woke up one day and were like, you know what? I think I'll be vulnerable. That's very true. <laughs> um, it was it was hard earned. <laughs> it was through a lot of trials in my life. I think it started when I had my first child. When Ryan was born, we were thrilled to become parents. And I thought, well, I've got this down. I had taught for eight years. Um, I had read all the books. I had seen friends go through it before me. And he gave us a colicky baby who cried all the time and who I couldn't help. And so that began a series of events in my life, some of them connected to parenting, but also just other outside events that happened that required me to say, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I'm struggling. Today was a hard day. And those statements never came easily to me. Mm. And I, they have started to roll off the tongue. The more you practice them, yeah. the more you ask people for help and tell them the truth about what's going on, the easier it gets. And I've needed that. And I've been so grateful that I'm quicker now to say, you know what? I am struggling. Yeah. Wow. Uh, did you go to college? Did you study something in the school? I did. I went to Hillsdale College in Michigan. Yeah. It is a small conservative school, and I majored in early childhood education and elementary education. Okay. Was the goal immediately to be an elementary school teacher? It was, and I started out in elementary school for four years and then really felt led to move up to middle school. And Mm -hmm. so I spent four years in middle school and discovered that I really like working with middle schoolers. (laughs) I had sworn I would never work with that age group. I had a really hard time in middle school. I experienced a lot of bullying. I was um, left out of a lot of things. And so it was a miserable time for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that ended up giving me a heart for middle schoolers and understanding of just how difficult of a time it is. So I actually loved teaching middle school. Totally. Was that here in Asheville? Yes, I taught at Veritas Christian Academy oh. for eight years. <laughs> yeah. How familiar is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I just didn't connect the timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so for those that are listening, we have a connection through Veritas. Actually, Jenny's mom, Kay Belknap, was one who hired me four years ago. So yeah, she's had a tremendous impact, many aspects of our community here. Absolutely. And that's how I met Christina Robbins and then eventually Brian. And that's how we ended up at Missio. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that was probably, I don't even know. I mean, Christina has been there since 2003. So you guys met a while ago. We'll just say. Absolutely. We've been through a lot together (laughs) (laughs) and I'm grateful. I wanted to circle back to, I know you and Paul met in high school and I think both went to Hillsdale, right? We did not both oh. go to Hillsdale. We met at Carolina Day School, where I ended up graduating. And we started dating at 16. And I went to Hillsdale College in Michigan, and he went to Alma College That's right. also in Michigan. So we knew we wanted to be close, but we didn't want to go to the same college. 
we thought it might be a little distracting. Mm -hmm. And so we were about two and a half hours apart and we would get together every couple of weeks. Yeah. And so when were you married? We got married five weeks after graduate college graduation. (laughs) And that was in the year 2000, June 17th, 2000. And you guys, I'm trying to remember when you came to Missio. It's been been a little bit. We've been at Missio for seven and a half years because I was pregnant with Abby when we came and she was born not long after we came here. So we... We came here looking for a smaller community, especially for our children. Once we had children, what we wanted in a church changed. Mm. And we realized that we wanted um, people who knew their names, who remembered them when they were little Mm. and knew how they had grown. And we wanted um, familiarity when we dropped them off in the, you know, for their Sunday school classes. And so we brought them here to visit and they absolutely loved it. And we did too, Mm. and they immediately felt safe and welcome, and we did as well, and so we were here to stay. Uh, It's always, you know, it's strange for me, I don't know, and you know, when friends come to visit, because you're like, man, if they don't like it, is that a reflection on me? If You know, like, but it's been such a joy to have not only you guys, but several other friends who've become uh, really active members here. Of course, you guys are community group leaders and that as well. It's been just a joy to watch that. So moving back into high school, do you remember, Paul, like what sparked your relationship early on? It's a funny story because our spring break of our sophomore year, we went on a class trip to France and Spain, Mm. and we happened to get placed next to each other on one of the flights. And I didn't really know him that well, even though our class wasn't that big, we just hadn't connected. And so we talked that entire flight, and I think it was the flight between France and Spain, but he may correct me on that. Um, And so we talked and talked and talked, and just at the end of the flight, I remember looking at him and thinking, I really enjoyed that conversation, Mm. and we seemed to like a lot of the same things. And so we spent a lot of time together during that trip, and by the end of the trip, he asked me to go out with him, which is what we did mm-hmm. in 1994 right. <laughs> and uh, so we that's when we started dating and we dated all through high school and college without breaking up and then got me yeah. after that's amazing so you liked video games as a kid too <laughs> <laughs> that is and was <laughs> the thing that we do not have <laughs> in common <laughs> but paul is thrilled that our kids are now mm. really into video games oh, I so bet. they talk video games a lot. (laughs) What do you admire most about Paul? I am so grateful for his steady presence and his clear thinking. He is never overly high, overly low. He remains very much the same through all circumstances. And he is also very good at helping me to take things that I'm overwhelmed with and break them down and think about um, how to approach them, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's even something to be upset about at all. And we really complement each other well. We also work together very well during times of stress. Mm. So for example, when we had a colicky baby, that was some of our best times as a married couple. I know a lot of people that can drive them apart, but for us, we really came together as a team, really shared responsibilities well, and um, were able to laugh together and appreciate the difficulty of it, but also have 
fun with each other during it. And we're, we're generally very good at that. So I want to maybe switch gears a little bit here. So as you think about, you know, your adulthood, what have maybe been some of the most transformative events that you've experienced so far? The most transformative occurred on November 5th of 2017. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon, just perfect fall afternoon, and we were home as a family, and the phone rang, and it was a family friend, and she said, your parents' house is on fire. Wow. And I was, my first thought was something like a kitchen fire. I thought, okay, maybe you know, my mom was cooking something and there was something caught on fire. So I immediately jumped in the car and started driving to my parents' house. They live 10 minutes away. And while I was driving, I called the family friend back and her husband was a captain in the fire department and he had heard my parents' address come across the scanner and recognized it. Mm -hmm. And she and her husband had rushed straight to my parents' home So as I was talking to her on the phone while I drove to my parents' house, I said, you know, is my mom out of the house? And she said, yes. And I said, what about my dad? And she said, no. And at that moment, I realized maybe it was more than a kitchen fire, but I still thought my parents' house is big and, you know, there are places where maybe he just hadn't gotten out or they hadn't found him yet. But as I went to turn into my parents' neighborhood, I saw a news truck in front of the car and realized I was following our local news network into the neighborhood. Mm. And when I arrived, there were at least 10 fire trucks, an ambulance, just chaos in the neighborhood. And as I ran towards my parents' house, I saw that the fire was pouring out of my dad's office window where Mm. he spent most of his time. And so... When I ran into my mom in the street, and of course we were hugging and crying, um, we knew at that moment that it was unlikely that my dad had survived whatever had happened. And at that point, we had no idea what had happened. That afternoon, within minutes, we knew that God was with us. Mm. When I think about the dozens of people that he put into place to help us that day, it's mind boggling to me because it shows how much he loves and cares for every single detail. Everyone was home. Everyone was home. Dozens and dozens of people, friends, family were all at home on this beautiful Sunday afternoon and they were able to drop everything and come and help us immediately because they were all home. And that was the first that jumped out at me was the fact that every person I called answered immediately Mm -hmm. and was able to come immediately. My brother and his wife in Atlanta were home. The neighbors across the street were home and they saw the fire start in the garage and ran and called 911 and ran across the street and got my mom out of the house and saved her life. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. And all of her neighbors were home. All of them came out into the street immediately and were taking her puppies for her and bringing us water and chairs and blankets. One of the most meaningful things that the neighbors did is they formed a shield to shield us from the media Mm -hmm. because the media wanted to get us on camera. And they knew that that was not right, that this was um, not something for public consumption. Mm -hmm. 
And they said to us, there is absolutely no way that they will get you on camera. We will ensure that. They moved us behind a truck so that we were further shielded from scrutiny. And that allowed us to cry openly and to comfort one another, to talk to friends as they arrived. And we knew that we were protected. And we knew that anything we asked them to do, they would do. Our friend who was a captain in the department that I mentioned earlier, he was there to walk us through what was going on and to explain why they couldn't get to my dad and why the fire was so hard to fight and what the firefighters were trying to do. Those are things that we wouldn't have understood having never been through anything like this before, but he was a mediator between us and the fire department step by step by step. And he is the one that came and told us that they had found my dad Mm -hmm. and he made the identification for us. And having a close family friend deliver that news to you, that is also a gift in the midst of incredible trauma because you're immediately surrounded by that love and you know that that person is hurting along with you. This isn't just a typical day of work. And to to have him say, I will not leave your dad. I know you can't be with him right now, but I can be with him and I will be with him until the very last moment and I will make sure that he is treated with respect. I can't imagine anything that could bring a family greater comfort in that moment. Um, It's amazing how God is a very detailed God. Mm Because when we called some of my mom's closest friends, Gary and Margot, they rushed to the scene and were comforting us and sitting with us as we waited outside the house, really unsure what to do next. What do you do now? My mom doesn't have a place to live and my dad is there inside the house and we we just didn't really know what to do. And Margot looked at us and said, come to my house. She said, today I made a huge roast chicken. I've made a huge meal. And she said a few hours ago, Gary looked at me and said, why are you cooking all of this food? They're empty nesters. It's just the two of them. And she said, I don't know. Mm. And she knew at that moment why she had made that meal. And she looked at us and she said, you won't believe this, but last weekend I felt led to wash all the sheets on my guest beds and put fresh towels in all the guest bathrooms And I think it's because you are to come home with us. Wow. And I'm ready for you. And she said, please come. And so we loaded up and she was, they were happy to have my mom's dogs come. We drove to her house and she served us a meal of nourishing homemade food. Could we have survived on pizza? Yes. Mm -hmm. But God laid a feast for us in the midst of this horrible day. We slept on clean sheets and fresh towels. Those are just further evidences of his love for the the tiniest parts of who we are. Because we all know that food is comfort and that having that, that meal at that moment nourished us in a way that a delivery pizza wouldn't have. And they welcomed a dozen people into their home that night. And we sat there and were surrounded 
um, Christina came that mm-hmm. night and Christina and Brian were home. So Brian could watch the kids so yep. that she could drop everything and come. And other friends from the church came and again, their husbands were home to watch the children. Mm-hmm. I just am amazed at the dozens of people that day who did not know that they were part of a bigger plan yeah, and that God had a purpose um, for each and every one of them as they comforted us. And the people who came came for us, not out of a desire to gawk or to hear all the gruesome details. They were there for us. What Mm -hmm. do you need? Mm -hmm. I remember another example of someone who just happened to be in town. My cousin just happened to be in town from South Carolina visiting Biltmore Estate. And when her mom told her what had happened, she rushed right over and she sat and held cold compresses all over my neck and my head as the adrenaline was coming down your whole body you feel sick and she was there just hands on me mm-hmm. taking care of me in a very intimate way and it meant so much and and it helped it mm-hmm. comforted me in that moment we never felt alone for a single second wow single second through the whole thing yeah it's the kindness the kindness of the lord to as you say meet you in that moment of of what's unimaginable pain but yet you know through his people bringing comforts it's incredible absolutely so as the days and weeks progressed after that horrific event you started to find out some more details what are some of the things that that kind of came out from that Well, I know the first question that everyone has is how did the fire start? And we did find out within a few days that the fire started behind the dash of an old Fiat that my dad had bought. And we still don't know exactly why, but that was what they traced the fire to. We know from the witnesses of our neighbors that he had cranked the car just to kind of gun the engine a little bit. And he did that every now and then shortly before the fire started and then had turned off the car and returned upstairs to his office. So we know that that is what started the fire. But we were left with just so much stuff to deal with. So many things had to be gone through. There's the planning of the funeral while you're at the same time trying Mm -hmm. to deal with insurance and finding shelter for your mom and trying to meet her physical needs. And as we were going through all of my dad's things, we discovered evidence that he had been drinking secretly. And in the beginning, we weren't sure what it meant. We weren't sure to what extent he had been drinking. But the fact that the alcohol had been hidden in his office and the fact that we certainly didn't know that he had been drinking indicated that it wasn't it wasn't healthy. It was something something was wrong. And so once again, God very gently revealed to us over time what had been going on in my dad's life over the last few years before his death. And God did not reveal it all at once. And I believe that is further evidence of his mercy. Mm. He just showed us a little bit at a time. And every time we had a question, he would bring someone into our life to answer it. Mm. So one of our first questions was, when did this start? And he brought someone along who had repaired a patio for my parents 10 years before, and they were reminiscing about my dad. And they made the offhand comment and said, you know, 
I thought it was always kind of funny that he always carried a flask and we had no idea. Mm. And so that was a, we were able at that point to place when it had started because we knew when the patio had been built. Um, when we had questions about why he hadn't shared it with us, um, why had he had this hidden part of his life for what we believe was about 10 years, which is a very, very long time. And honestly, we felt foolish at first. And then God brought into our life an addiction specialist that my mom met through her church Mm. who walked us through what the mind of an addict is like, um, how an addiction develops. And she was able to help us to no longer feel like fools, but to also feel great compassion for my dad and the shame that he was fighting. And she was able to help us to forgive ourselves and to forgive him. Mm-hmm. And that was so important during the process. You know, I've, I've wondered why God allowed us to find out at all. There's, there's you yeah, know, yeah. Um, ignorance is bliss, we say. But, but since it has come out to us and since we've processed it, I'm amazed at the number of people I have met who have people in their lives or who they themselves have struggled with addiction. And we were talking earlier about vulnerability, building those bridges. And when someone says to you, well, you're probably not going to believe this, but this happened in my family to be able to say, oh, I get it. And Mm -hmm. I do believe it. Yeah. And I wish my dad had allowed us to walk alongside him. I wish he had shared with us what he was struggling with because he would have been received with great love and compassion. But I am thankful that we know now and that we can share with other people who are also struggling. Every family has its struggles and a lot of our struggles are hidden. And it has given me great compassion for others as well and a connecting point. Yeah. There's an empathy that's created in you through those kind of experiences that you cannot have any other way. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm just trying to figure out where to go next. My goodness. Well, I will say one more thing that I did want to say, because one more question that I had about my dad is if this is true about him, if he had a secret addiction for what we believe was about 10 years, was his faith real? Mm. And that was something I really struggled with. Mm -hmm. And one day the Lord told me, go to your email and, you know, go to the search button and type in his name. I hadn't done that since his death because it was just too painful to read emails that he had sent, not because there was anything wrong in them, but it just was too emotional. And so I went and typed in his name and was just kind of scrolling through. And a lot of the emails were, you know, general family types of stuff. And then all of a sudden I came to an email that he had written me. I don't even know why he wrote it. Well, I probably do. I think God prompted him to write it to me. And it was about a four or five paragraph email where he outlined his journey to salvation, his walk with the Lord since salvation. He's had the line, though I struggle every day, I know the Lord loves me. And that was written in the heart of his addiction, looking at the date and what we know now. He wrote that. Of course, when I read it back then, I didn't know the significance of those lines, but it was comfort. It was reassurance that absolutely his faith was real. He loved the Lord. 
he knew that he was a sinner and needed a savior and he was struggling with an addiction and he was trying to do it alone. And that's so important because addiction or struggle in those ways is not opposed to faith, right? They go together. And that clinging to Jesus, even in the midst of, is, uh, man, that's, that had to be overwhelming and encouraging. It was. I just cried because once again, the Lord had taken our questions and answered them very specifically and personally. He knew that I needed that confirmation of my dad's faith to be able to move forward in my grieving process. It was, I was hung up on that and I was a little afraid, you know, um, because the man I thought I knew, he wasn't all that I thought he was, but to hear his heart poured out that way in the email, my dad was not a very verbal man. And so the gift of his writing Mm. all of that out for me, I know the Lord prompted him to write it. I know the Lord prompted me to search for that email And it was such a comfort. Mm -hmm. It really helped me heal in a very specific way. What a gift that was from the Lord. This conversation is just reminding me of the church can be a place where we meet each other in our brokenness and we bring what we have. We say, hey, this is who I am. And I think we find healing there. We find that there's no condemnation in the face of Christ and that we can just sit with each other and find healing and life and with each other and with him. Well, as you think about the time since then, where where are you sensing that God is growing you and stretching you these days? I feel like God right now is showing me that it is time to share what we've been through. This was a huge step for me. This is the first time I've talked openly about my dad's alcoholism because I needed to work through it first. Mm -hmm. He also, last spring, he made it very clear to me that I was to let go of a lot of commitments and clear my calendar and just rest. Mm. Physical rest, emotional rest, that it was a gift that he was offering to me. And I could keep going and going and going as the world expects us to do, or I could take the time to recover from what we have experienced. And so I did that. I obeyed and I dropped a lot of obligations and that was hard for me to do. I've said before, Mm -hmm. I'm that people pleaser. I'm a a doer. Uh, I feel a lot of that false guilt that I am supposed to be doing more, but he gave me the gift of rest. And so i believe that that has been the lesson for the past year is that it is okay to say no. It is okay to sleep. It is okay to meet with a counselor and take that time and spend that money to work through what we've gone through in a healthy way. And even the money for a counselor is something I would have felt guilty about, Mm -hmm. but he spoke to me clearly. No, this is my gift to you. Take it. And so I know that he will call me back into various um, areas of service as we move forward. But I do feel that this last year has been a year of rest. That's my incredible gift. This is actually my favorite question. And I love asking it because I think it succinctly captures an angle of the gospel that I love. But how do you think that God uses your specific weaknesses? Oh boy, I don't like that question. <laughs> <laughs> we differ a lot. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> I have 
lived my life with the goal of outwardly being viewed as consistently as possible. Mm-hmm. I want my behavior to be consistent. I want everyone to feel like I'm dependable a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that the gift of this weakness is that I have learned the hard way, as I was just saying, to re- that I needed to relax. Yeah. I need to say no. And I'm able to pass that along to my children. Mm-hmm. I have been honest with them in a way that is age appropriate and said to them, you know, my brain is tired and I need to rest it. Or I'm having a hard day today. I'm really missing my dad. And that's why I'm crying right now. Those are phrases that I would not have said before. I would not have shed tears in front of my children before as readily as I have through this. I would have probably hidden it and tried to keep that front intact. And this has forced me to let it down and to say, I am having a hard day and I'm crying because I miss my dad and that's okay for me to cry and to tell my children, it's okay for you to miss your granddaddy today and to have a hard day because you're missing them. Yeah, absolutely. Because I do that. And so I hope that um, that will help them perhaps not face some of the same learning curves that I Mm -hmm. have. And I also think that it allows people As I've said before, when you're willing to say and cry in front of other people, then they're willing to cry in front of you. And so I think it's, I hope it's made me a better friend in the, in the end. Mm -hmm. What are the ways that you relax best? I love reading. That is one of my favorite ways to escape. I also love walking our dog, Cooper, our golden doodle. He has also been an unexpected gift for this year of rest. I didn't realize, oh, now I have an excuse to take a walk by myself after dinner (laughs) and Paul can do baths and get the kids uh, headed towards bed. So that has brought me so much joy to walk the dog and just Mm -hmm. pray as I walk. I don't listen to podcasts or music or anything. And I just walk and pray and it's been wonderful. And um, those have probably been two of the main ways for this particular season I've needed quiet relaxing, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's probably been the two primary ways. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Jenny, um, man, just the example of vulnerability. I mean, we talked a lot about that at the beginning, and just for you being willing to share this story is, is a gift to us and will be to the church. So I just want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. We have a little thing we call the lightning round that we're going to go into next. So just three or four real rapid-fire questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Take it away. Okay, first question. Favorite Asheville restaurant? My favorite restaurant is the Bistro on Biltmore Estate. Paul mm. has worked there for over 20 years, so we get to go there whenever we want. Not that we go there that often because it is pricey, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I love the Bistro, and my favorite thing to order there is always the filet, oh, medium yum. rare. <laughs> oh, sounds so good. If you could time travel, when would you go? 
This is a funny question because I'm a girly girl and the thought of going to any place that does not have indoor plumbing mm-hmm. and preferably antibiotics yep. is very alarming to me. So we're in the golden age. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> she wants to go to the future. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that sounds fantastic. So I really would love to go back to Hampton, South Carolina in the 1950s and 60s hey. where my mom grew up. It is a small town and she has never said that it was perfect, but I do believe that she had somewhat of a golden experience. Yeah. And I would love to see her with her six siblings and see how their childhood was in this small town where everyone knew everybody else. And they went to big dances on the weekends <laughs> and all these great bands came into play. And I, I think that would be a lot of fun. That sounds charming and idyllic. <laughs> Very Mayberry-esque. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Last binge-worthy show or book that you couldn't put down. Well, this isn't, I don't, this isn't binge-worthy because you can only watch it once. But last week, Paul and I watched the new Seinfeld special, 23 Hours to Kill on Netflix. So good. It was perfect. It is perfect for this time. The word coronavirus was not mentioned once. It is not political. They didn't mention elections. It was simple humor. And I thought it was perfect for where we are right now. We laughed until we cried. It was it's Seinfeld. I mean, that's what he does best. And that's what I think we all need right now is just humor over yeah. simple things. Yeah. Just plain funny. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Vox Pop. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll see you back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>